and welcome to the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. My name is Laura and I'll be your host. Each week, a special guest and I will dive deep into authentic connection, unraveling what this means for us and how to find it with ourselves, each other and the environment. These raw conversations are packed with knowledge, wisdom and inspiration relatable for all human beings journeying through life. The universe has brought you to this podcast for a reason. Let's jump in and journey together. It's sorted. I'm not craving anymore. How do I deal with life? <laughs> I, had, I had nothing. You know, I had no tools for dealing with emotion. That was Lotta Dan, and this is the Authentic Connection Podcast. My name is Laura, and today's episode is with Lotta Dan. She is also known as Mrs. D in the addiction and recovering alcoholism space. She's a New Zealand author. She's written three books, which I would highly recommend checking out. And today's conversation is really quite incredible, and not for the reasons that you may think. Alcoholism you know, may not be something that many of you have dealt with. But as we speak about, drinking alcohol is really just one of the many methods we use in the modern world to distract ourselves from our emotions. Mine is being, well, was, I like to think, being busy and just filling up my space, not having the time to deal with emotions. But you'll have your own method. Whether it is your career or men or sex or, gosh, there's so many others. We did decide that alcohol and busyness were probably the two most common, but there's a bunch of other things that people use too. Anyway, we chat about her story from obviously a reliance on alcohol to deal with her emotions to becoming somebody who actually embraces sadness. She doesn't like it of course because sadness usually is a result of something bad happening but she does enjoy the tenderness of, of, of really feeling her feelings and we talk about our environment and the social conditioning that's actually set us up to believe that we need alcohol as a reward at the end of the week or the end of the day we need alcohol to relax we need alcohol to have fun all of these messages that we receive daily from social media from marketing from other people around us that are really in essence, not true. So anyway, let's let's jump in, team. This is my conversation with Lotta Dan. Hi, Lotta. Lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Lotta is a New Zealand author, and um, she'll tell you a little bit more about her story. But thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So I thought we would start with your story. I know there's that sort of night on the 6th of September 2011 where, where there was, the, and I think, yeah, really interesting, that sort of last straw was, was lying to your family. So do you want to explain in your own words a little bit how that all went down and, and, and um, how that journey has been since as well? Sure. Well, I, you know, I drank alcohol from the age of 15 to the age of 39, mm. steadily, heavily, habitually, you know, problematically. And... It was kind of fine until it wasn't, you know, like alcohol does what we want. So I had a lot of fun times with that drug, but there were also a lot of sad, dangerous, vulnerable, tragic, embarrassing times. But, you know, we, we can excuse them and we can laugh about them. And 
and you know I managed to get through many years and not sort of see alcohol as a problem and then it started really becoming apparent to me that it was it was getting worse and worse Mm. and I was needing more and more of a night you know to feel like I'd had enough and it was a bottle a night at least and then more and it was Mm. every single night that's the Mm. thing about my drinking it wasn't the binging although I could binge it was the fact that it was it was every single night five o'clock was wine o'clock and as you say that last straw for me was was when I started being deceitful and hiding empty bottles from my husband and I could see very clearly that this was a new you know cliched (laughs) dysfunctional behavior on top of everything else I was really worried about so I I was horrified and and despite the fact that I was completely on my knees at that point in terms of my self-worth my self-esteem my feelings of strength you know anything was all really shot I managed to kind of tap into a little bit of strength and make a decision to not drink ever again, which is terrifying. Wow. And that's what I've done. You know, that was nine years ago now. So it's been a very, very, very eye-opening journey to use a cliched term, but it has absolutely been a journey. Yeah. And now, obviously, you're inspiring and supporting women through your books and through your online community. Do you want to just tell people about? Yeah, so I I set out to get sober on my own, which is, I now realize, foolish because we mm. need people around us to support us. Mm. But I, I started by writing a letter to myself every day and that and then I ended up doing that online in a blog. It was anonymous and I thought no one would care. And it was just my own little private diary, but people started reading it and this community built up and people were commenting and it was amazing. And, and so powerful. And I discovered Mm. that I had this ability to articulate what was going on in my head in a way that people related to. So, you know, while I wasn't doing anything special and getting sober, a lot of people do that. I was able to communicate it in a way that was um, very accessible and approachable. Mm. And so the blog ended up, you know, exploding in popularity and off the back of that I got a book deal and off the Mm. back of the book I managed to partner with people in the addiction sector in New Zealand and get funding for this super cool fancy website um, I now manage and it's we've got over 11,000 members and it's it's all just lovely ordinary people talking to each other kindly you know no judgment just really nice support and so that's now what I do I write I've written these books and I run this community and and it's just because there's so many people out there who are struggling and Mm. especially it's hidden because you can actually you can look like you're holding down your life fine and actually secretly on the inside, you're really miserable about your alcohol intake. And so we come together anonymously on the internet and we just support each other and it's, it's really working. Yeah. That's interesting. It's as you were sort of saying that I was like, Oh, maybe it's easier to sort of be honest with strangers than it is with your family or your closest friends. Absolutely. Especially if they're boozing. Yeah. But even if not, I mean, my husband is a great guy and he's not a particularly heavy drinker, but he doesn't understand the inner turmoil that I experience with alcohol. You know, he, he doesn't have that, you know, guilt. He doesn't have that pull to like finish the bottle and open the next one. He's a take it or leave it drinker. Mm. And so he wasn't my guy. I mean, he is my guy, <laughs> he is my guy, but he wasn't my main kind of sober support. I needed the people that understood. They know what it's like to have that inner dialogue raging, 
you know, trying to tell you drink, don't drink, all of that guilt, all of that stuff, that 3 a.m. wake up when you're beating yourself up. He doesn't experience that. So we can come together. And the anonymity, as you say, is so powerful because there's so much shame and stigma attached with alcohol mm. problems that if, you, you know, if you're feeling bad about yourself, being able to hide who you are is really important. And it doesn't stop you forming real connections. That's the thing. You could call yourself some crazy name and still make good, lovely friendships with people online. Mm. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, because yeah, as as the name of the podcast said, authentic connection is one of the one of the things we're looking for. So yeah, I suppose it doesn't have to. You don't even have to have a face or a real name for that. Oh, that is like I mean, literally my favorite word, authenticity, because that's what I wasn't for most of my adult life until I got sober, literally, and was forced to confront who I was and accept that and, and learn to live with it and be honest. You know, there's a saying in the recovery world, we're only as sick as our secrets. Mm. And when you can drop the pretenses, drop the secrecy, be true to who you are, authentic, honest, you know, you just, you're on a win-win situation. And that's, Mm. that's how we roll in this online recovery space. Yeah. Cool. And so do you have any thoughts about, why why it's actually so difficult to be authentic to yourself why is that not the natural way of being I suppose is what I'm saying I don't know I think we humans are so you know we're brilliant Mm. and complicated and we have an inner voice and it's it can be full of doubt and insecurity and we think everyone else has got it all sorted and Mm. we think we're not cool or interesting enough I don't know we just constantly have these doubts and so we mask them and we do it in a variety of ways we do it with what we wear we do it with what we put on our faces you know we 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 put on masks literally and figuratively and um it's a survival mechanism and sometimes Mm -hmm. it can work but if you can you know strip that back and get to that real true place of who you are And for some people, a lot of people who get sober discover that they're, for example, naturally very introverted. Mm. And they've always felt bad about that. Why can't I make small talk at parties? Why do I feel uncomfortable in a big group? I should be able to do all those things comfortably. And they mask that with alcohol, for example. Then they get sober and they realize, I hate small talk. I only like real conversations. I don't like big groups. They sap my energy. Give me one or two people and I'm happy and, and that's okay. And so again, that's just accepting who you really are authentically and being mm. okay with that. And it, it can, it's a lifetime's work, isn't it? I mean, how mm. are you at being who you are? <laughs> well, yeah, I think I'm lucky that I discovered things like yoga early on, but oh yeah, I mean, I've had a, I've had a journey with alcohol myself, of course, um, just being a young person and, and studying in Dunedin and all of the things that go along with that. But yeah, I suppose it's interesting. Maybe Maybe that introvert extrovert thing is is on the money though, because we are as a society maybe set up for a, an extroverted person to be successful, and then obviously all of our p- parameters for success are sort of how many friends you have, how many likes you have, all of that sort of stuff, which is kind of tailored to an extroverted person. Exactly. Yeah, and and also if you're just looking at a room full of people chatting, and there's someone in the middle chatting and being comfortable and laughing and freely, 
we think they're winning and then we look at someone who's perhaps on the edge of the room and they're being a little bit uncomfortable and they're not really wanting to just talk about the weather and we think well they're not winning Mm. and it's not even it's not even that we're horrible for thinking that it just kind of would appear that way and so we are sort of set up to favor extroversion and I mean I love it when I hear and it happens all the time when I hear people say you know what, I, I, I like being on my own. I like quiet Friday nights. I like I don't like big groups because they are just discovering that's who they are and, and feeling okay with it. And that's the ticket to happiness. So on your journey, you mentioned you noticed that you were, yeah, and I suppose this kind of goes along with what we've been talking about, but an A-grade emotion avoider. I thought that was an interesting term because it's definitely something you see. And, and you know, we're talking more about women, but also a big thing for males as well. And if and how have you have you begun to embrace your emotions and I suppose yeah more more emphasis on the how what have you done to what have you done to be able to embrace your emotions more yeah so that was the biggest most interesting thing about me getting sober I literally thought that I was an aging party girl who had let her habit habit get out of hand needed to take the alcohol away and learn how to socialize and and be okay with not drinking. And it Mm. wasn't until I then stopped and started living and got very emotional that I realized actually my habitual drinking had been all about trying to suppress uncomfortable emotions and particularly sadness. Yeah. You know, is my least favorite emotion. And I have, I had some tricky stuff going on in my childhood. Mm. I'm also, I now know naturally a very watery, person it's sadness is my kind of go-to I tend to crumple when I get hurt or sad mm. you know I, I don't mm. kind of harden with anger I soften with I'm just I'm very watery I cry all the time yeah I'd spend a lifetime trying not to be that because it's uncomfortable yeah and it even makes other people uncomfortable that's the biggest thing as well like even if you're okay with crying somebody else is probably feeling a bit uncomfortable about it yeah exactly and and also you know, I just wanted to be fun, upbeat lotter all the time. And that's what alcohol helped me do. So I took away the alcohol. I got very emotional and I realized, whoa, okay, this is actually what it's all about. It's about learning how to be emotional. And I, at first (laughs) I used to like cruise around and I'd ask people, especially if they seemed really together, I'd be like, how do you deal with sadness? And, or how do you deal with anger? And like, there was some answer some golden ticket to dealing with these things. And they'd often, they'd look at me like blank, like, um, I don't know. I just kind of feel it. And it really took me months, years of living sober to, to realize that that was the, the ticket was just actually allowing myself to feel. And that was really hard at first because my instinct was make this go away, make this go away. I don't want to be sad. Mm. And I had to learn, you know, it's right for me to be sad right now because what's happening is sad mm. <laughs> and to be okay with that. And then the more I lived and realized if I, I mean, again, so cliched, if I let myself feel the sadness, literally just feel it, be uncomfortable, be sad for a few days and then move through that and lift up again and then look back at that sad time, I'd feel like resolved about it. It was right but to be sad. I felt the sadness and now I feel more resolved. It's hard to explain, but it's like, actually the best way to deal with these things is just to sit with them because then you're honoring them and you're Mm. acknowledging it and it's really hard to put this into words but Mm -hmm. when you feel it and you live this way you realize I mean we are we are sad angry emotional 
you know, we have these things for a reason mm-hmm. and you just got to let them pass through like storm clouds, Yeah, which is now what I do. And now, you know, I hated sadness. Now I actually find it quite tender, you know, and sort of touching and, and okay. And, mm. and I wouldn't say lovely because, you know, you know, you don't want to choose to be sad, but it's, I don't know. It just feels right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm okay with it now. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. I mean, it's totally like, it's natural and in a way that it's not lovely, but it is a natural part of life. Alcohol probably wasn't the big one for me in terms of using it to distract me from things. I sort of call myself an ex-busy person. Like I just filled my calendar with things. It wasn't necessarily alcohol, although alcohol was always there, of course. But yeah, it was just easy to, you know, oh, I don't have time to you know, worry about why that person said that thing or be sad about this person or do this and what you just literally distract yourself. So yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's many ways you can do it and alcohol and busyness being two of them. Yes. Two, two really, really common ones in this day and age. I mean, busyness, I'm so pleased you brought that up because I don't think it gets enough um, focus on Mm. how people use that as a distraction technique, but alcohol is the other one because it's this drug, which Mm. is readily available, cheap as chips, heavily marketed in our environments, completely condoned, embraced Mm. and, you know, celebrated. Mm. And so it makes sense why so many people turn to it and then end up oftentimes using it in unhealthy ways, which is just disconnecting them from themselves and everyone around them Mm. my experience with alcohol just slightly contrasting to yours is I didn't drink at all the time but as a young person at university we just had massive nights on it where once you started you couldn't stop but we were like it was very all or nothing you know we'd spend the 10 hours in the library studying on a Thursday and then Friday it was no study at all no uni at all and just completely party right off (laughs) yes the need and the cliches are true right absolutely i mean yeah especially when i was there there are you know obviously lots of things have changed particularly they hadn't locked down on any of the initiations and all of that sort of stuff when we were there so and what's your habit now with alcohol do you mind me asking oh of course no i um i drink it very sparingly so i do drink it i actually it's funny i was just reflecting on this this morning i say yes to alcohol because i get pleasure out of that out of pleasing somebody but i don't actually get any pleasure out of the actual alcohol interesting for example i will i'm staying at my parents house at the moment actually and mum and dad were having a glass of wine and it was a gla- it was a white type of wine i liked and so i was like i i want to have a glass and so mum poured me one and i said you know she was stoked that i was having a glass of wine with her because i don't drink very often and then i literally just i had two sips of it and then mum finished the rest of it Right, so you don't have the demon in you at all. Not at all, not at all, not at all. But again, that would be, that's definitely now like that. I've 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 gone through stages where I haven't drank for six months at, at a time and all that sort of stuff. So like that's definitely now. And, and for me, it's really health. It's the health reasons that I don't mm. drink it. There's just, there's, I mean, red wine, you can argue it, but really there's no positives to drinking alcohol, not even in the slightest so no, all of those studies that people always quote and I used to when I was a drinker and red wine was my poison yeah you know, it's good for you if you read into those studies they might say you know it does show a little bit of heart improvement or whatever but and there's always these big caveats these big sort of other points it has to be less than this oh, amount yeah. per night and yeah 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 I mean the negatives far far outweigh the positives 
yeah so i'm very very light social drinker these days i suppose but generally generally not and so one of the interesting things I think you talk a lot about in the in the one o'clock myth, what, the most recent book, is around alcohol being a reward. And I suppose that is specific probably to women, although actually probably not. It's like this sort of emotional hole that we're filling with alcohol. What what have you learned a little bit about that in terms of sort of the emotional emotional need for alcohol and things like that? Mm. it's it's partly it's the social conditioning I mean we literally I grew up and all of the marketing tells us and so we really do believe that this is this is my reward this is my treat I deserve this this is for me um you know it's a good thing and it's it's a lot of people see it as self-care women especially this is my moment in the day where I'm doing something kind for me which is a Mm. wonderful instinct to have but it's Mm. flawed because the product mm. is, you know, addictive, causes cancer, disconnects your emotions, impacts on your central nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But we really do genuinely believe, and I think the environment plays a massive part in this, all of the marketing that's allowed to be saturated right throughout our environments, mm. the fact of it sitting in the supermarkets, all of that stuff that really points to this stuff as being a good necessary thing helps us, you know, believe that it is. Even even when the evidence is clear to the contrary, even when people like me, you know, I'd I'd I would have I wouldn't have one, I'd have a bottle, I'd wake up feeling hungover and sick. And yet I'd still the next day at five think this is my reward for being a hardworking woman, even though it wasn't rewarding me. Mm. So it's a very flawed thought process, but it's deeply embedded and it really took me a good few months and I had help from books, you know, to really open my eyes. And that's what I'm trying to do with this new book is really open people's eyes to actually, actually, let's really look at this. Like be honest with yourself. How is this actually rewarding you? Mm. It's a little bit tricky because in the moment, the drug gives us dopamine, Mm. which is a feel good chemical in the brain. And it, it, that literally gives us a lift. So we do feel in that moment of consuming it that we are getting a reward. Mm. But, but one, you know, once you think past that little dopamine hit into the what even medium-term impacts, it's not rewarding. So you've got to almost go, okay, yes, I get that little lift, but let's actually look at the bigger picture here and be honest. It's really mm. hard to do because your whole world is telling you otherwise. Mm. <laughs> and so you have to fight all of your social conditioning, all of the marketing messages, the whole environment we live in. But once you do that, you really start to think, this is a madness that we all believe this stuff is good. Mm. And it's, it's so prevalent and we're so saturated with it. But I, I believe we will, not too distant future, we will look back at this time and be like, what the... You know how we do with cigarettes Mm. (laughs) and we go like, what? People used to smoke at the movies and on the bus. Doctors used to recommend cigarettes. (laughs) We will do that with alcohol, but we're not quite Mm. there yet. It's going to come. But for Mm. now, there's just a few of us who are kind of trying to drum up. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting because I think the the health repercussions of alcohol drinking are becoming more and more apparent, of course. It's terrible because it almost has to get worse before it gets better again, like which is horrific. But uh, but anyway, that's just the way it is. I love the fact that you talk about the environment because what that does is it takes the blame off the individual. 
because if anything, we don't need any more blame or guilt for people because they're already feeling all of that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about our environment and go into the marketing and the social media side of things? Social media is just awash with pro-alcohol content, which is Mm. really misleading and damaging. And it's totally unregulated. And a lot of it is generated by the liquor industry who are only interested in their bottom line profits. Yeah. They don't actually care about us women, but they create these memes about mum's little helper. And, you know, I enjoy cooking with wine. Sometimes I even put it in the food, you know, all of those stupid jokes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We've all seen them. We've all seen them. The, the The problem with the environment that has been created, as you say, is that it's really isolating for people who are struggling because you genuinely believe you're the only one mm. and that everyone else is having a great old time on the booze because it's all just available and freely marketed and cheap as chips. And the liquor industry likes to try and make itself look really good by promoting things like safe drinking guidelines and how to moderate. And in doing so, they are completely ignoring the fact that their product is an addictive drug and not everyone can moderate. No matter how much information they have, they just can't. Mm. So, but they just keep on saying, we really care. Mm. Here's the limits that you should be sticking to. Here's what a standard drink size is. Mm. And if only it were that simple, you know, if, for me, I knew what a standard drink size was, but that didn't mean I was going to stick to that. Mm. I, I didn't want a little tiny <laughs> standard drink of wine. I wanted a bucket. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the fact that they're able to keep on doing that disingenuous kind of push is is even more isolating for people because they think if only, you know, I should be able to moderate. And it's really hard to shift that belief in yourself that you're somehow flawed because you can't moderate it's like you're not flawed Mm. you're just addicted to something that is addictive you know and and it doesn't make you bad or weak so Mm. there's a lot that the environment has to answer for and until we have government that's really brave and going to change some of the regulations around alcohol Mm. we at least need to raise the profile of people in recovery Mm. so that we make it more normal for people to go hey over here don't drink can't control it but sweet as i'm all good now and i don't miss that stuff at all the more of us that do that then the more other people who are feeling isolated and stigmatized might be like oh maybe it's okay for me to put my hand up and say me too yeah, the health effects are a big one for me because I, I work sort of more in the health sector. And I suppose it's the same thing for health when it comes to the environment. You know, our environment is set up for us to, you know, we're advertised to and we consume high calorie dense, low nutrient dense foods, um, which I think, again, is all, all onto our environment. So when it comes to the health, you've already mentioned cancer and I've I feel like, you know, I don't know if it's been officially linked, but New Zealand has particularly high levels of breast cancer in women. Oh, it's been linked. It has been linked. Absolutely. Yep. The the scientific proof is irrefutable, unequivocal. Like Mm. alcohol causes cancer and particularly breast cancer um, because that's the highest rate of cancer deaths in women in New Zealand is breast cancer. And um, yep, the science is out there, but no one knows it because Mm. the liquor industry does a really good job of muddying the waters around the science. And it's really hard for people to marry up. Well, hang on, if it causes cancer, why is it just sitting in the supermarket? I mean, literally, it doesn't compute. It's not something a lot of people really know. And then again, I suppose it's quite the the whole sort of, I 
it makes me a bit angry when people sort of talk about cancer as if it's something that you got because you were unlucky because even breast cancers and a lot of the other cancers it's all environmental we you know it might be smoking or it might be something else it's not necessarily all alcohol but but there is factors that we can change but that is quite confronting for people to understand it's quite difficult yeah the epidemiologist that i interviewed for my new book she said cancer risk is a slippery idea is how she put it it's a slippery idea so it's hard for people to really grab it you know because it's not like if you drink alcohol, you will get cancer. Mm, it's like, yeah. if you drink, your your chances are raised. And for every extra drink a day, your chances raised even higher. But it's still slippery. And, you know, there are some people that don't get it. So the people always think, well, maybe I'm, you know, it is, it's, it's a tricky one for people to grasp onto. So it is hard to kind of bed in, but we should have more awareness around it. For sure. And then again, because I, I don't want to feel like, because we're identifying an environmental reason for that person's cancer or for, for cancer in general. We don't want to flick around to it being us blaming that person for getting cancer. Because again, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when they started drinking, we didn't know that. But we do know it now. So it's like, well, okay, we can change going forward. But yeah, I think that's just a tricky tricky thing to maneuver with people because they get they get riled up when you try to suggest it was something that they did, even though it wasn't their fault that they did that. Um, yeah I know you're right you are right and it is tricky and you don't want people to feel I mean even more miserable if they've got cancer and then it's like I did it to myself so exactly that's not the point but at least you know for because for breast cancer specifically you can catch it quite early and you can get really good results by catching it early Um, but it does mean that there's an opportunity for to change behavior and you know, if we change behavior, we can prevent it from coming back and all of that sort of stuff. So anyway, that's just a tricky thing that I've, because I've dealt with that a lot with just general health and people and trying to, just trying to maneuver that whole way of communicating. And what I try to want people to understand is that they have total control over their own health. Even if our environment influences it a lot, they still have total, total control at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Great. <laughs> In terms of Honeypot and the the community we've got going there, we're all about connection, as I've already mentioned. But what, in terms of for you, Lotta, your favourite practice to kind of connect to yourself authentically and connect within? I mean, not drink alcohol. <laughs> I mean, really. I, I have no choice but to be close to myself now because I am raw. of the time, I have a wide open brain that I never alter the brain chemistry of, except food sometimes, if I'm honest, but I'm working Mm. on that. Yeah, yeah. And so that is my number one sort of strategy to stay true. And yeah, it is, it's just all about really recognizing when I'm feeling certain things and um, not trying to answer why or fix it. But just allow it to be there. Sometimes it's mysterious. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Well, a lot of the time these uncomfortable emotions are uncomfortable, but just mm. allowing them to be. And the longer I live sober and the more I go through phases and I do that, the more I get to know myself. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just look after myself now. I mean, I have this thing where I sometimes I'll just literally say to myself, what does Lotta need right now? Mm. Yeah, and I've got three kids, two part-time jobs, a dog and a house. And it, I'm busy, but I'm also not. And sometimes I'm like, what does Lotta need right now? And I'll just think, you know what? I'm going to run a bath or I'm going to lie on the sofa at one in the afternoon and watch The Real Housewives of New York. 
right? So I just, I just look after myself. Yeah. And I never feel bad about that. And so that's probably the biggest thing I do to connect in with myself. Yeah, I suppose that's something I was thinking about before was just finding ways to reward yourself and kind of get that dopamine hit without it being around a glass of wine, of course. Yeah, and I mean, it's different. You don't, you don't often naturally in life get a big hit of dopamine. With wine, it's like guaranteed, take a sip, boom, there it is, and you feel good. You know, with, with sobriety, those sorts of lifts come seldom, less often, but when they do, it feels better because it's more genuine. So yeah. if I want to get a really big lift, I need to go to a concert or mm. <laughs> be surrounded by people I love. And then I get hit with this real intense and it's magical and better than anything I ever got out of a bottle, but it comes less often. Mm. You know, natural life is, is less, is sort of calmer and smoother in that regard. And that takes a bit of adjustment when you first quit because you're used to that kind of quick feeling of that guaranteed oof, there's the dopamine mm. I have a more sort of settled brain chemistry now and and when I do get those lifts they're magical and I really appreciate them I mean one of the things with alcohol and I'm not no, totally the ins and outs but if you you sort of require more dopamine to get the same sort of reward feelings and all of that sort of stuff as you sort of build up a you know, resistance to it almost, I suppose. You're bang on. That's exactly right. The brain adjusts. If you keep pounding the brain with a drug that gives you dopamine, the brain goes, whoa, this is a lot. I'm going to downregulate. And so your dopamine receptors downregulate. You need more of the drug to feel the same effect. And when you don't have the drug, you're sitting at a lower set point. And that's why people feel bleak when they're hungover. Yeah. Bleak if they're not having days where they're drinking. And then it's that vicious cycle because then you're wanting that drug to lift you up again to perhaps what was even just a normal point. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's the brain is a remarkable thing and it's sort of working against you. The good news is it can regenerate. It takes time, but mm. your dopamine receptors come back to normal. But for people who drink every day, like I did, you know, I was, I would, I felt very bleak when I wasn't drinking because I was not getting any natural dopamine at all. Cause my brain was just so exhausted with pushing it all out with the booze. One of the consultants at BPO, she, I remember she mentioned that as a society, we actually do rely too much on dopamine as a, as a neurochemical when really we should be spreading ourselves and sort of trying to get a, a full array of, of all of the goodness, serotonin and the GABA and yes. all the other stuff, the oxytocin and things. Whereas when we rely on just dopamine to feel good, it ends up yeah, dictating our behaviors and pushing us towards more addictive behaviors, I suppose. Exactly. Not many people talk about brain chemistry, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's basically what it all comes down to. Yes, we're emotional, but we are just basically a combination of chemicals and atoms and you know it, there's a reason it is science <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and that's nice for people to have a sort of science explanation of as well I really like that yeah I sort of latched onto that because I like stuff to make sense yeah yeah sometimes exactly. emotions don't make sense mm, mm. but brain chemistry makes sense and so for <laughs> me that's actually been quite pow- empowering for me to kind of learn a bit more but not a lot because it's complicated as all get out but yeah just to learn of the basics has been quite good for me and then my next, these are questions I ask everyone. So um, in terms of your favorite way to define really true authentic connection with other people, what, what do you like to do? Oh, just have good conversations with them, like really connect in terms of listening and speaking. Yeah. Just real talk, you know, just honest. I love. <laughs> I mean, I can actually do small talk. 
I'm a mixture of extroverted and introverted. I'm fine with small talk, but oh, give me a real conversation any day. I love that. That's what's so good about being sober. You enter this world of sober people who just go straight to the real, real fast. They're done with the shallow stuff, eh? Yeah, and when you know when you're really connecting in with someone, it's so great, and you, you know those people in your life where you're just really on a level with them. That's just the best thing. Yeah, 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 cool. And then what's your favorite way to connect with the environment in terms of, I mean, it can be absolutely anything at all. Just getting out in it. Yeah. Because I didn't do that at all, really, when I was a boozer, mm. and um, I didn't appreciate how much nature fuels us and so for me going um this afternoon me and my sister are going for a walk up in the forest and we're going to take a thermos of tea and we're going to drink tea in the forest with the and (laughs) and yesterday we we did this walk and we didn't take the tea so that's why we made the plan but we did do the walk and we sat on a log and we shut our eyes and we did the five senses thing where we just what could we see? What could we hear? What could we smell? Mm. What could we feel? And it was so lovely. I mean, it just, oh, we just need it as humans. We should really look after it and appreciate it. But yeah, just getting out in it is one of the best ways that I can deal with the environment. And then my last question is around a relationship in your life and a long-term relationship in your life, whether it is a romantic or a friendship or um, family member, but a specific relationship that has challenged you in some way or allowed you to grow? That's a very interesting question. Sometimes I give warning about this question and I just realized I never, I never gave you any warning about it. I've got relationships that challenge me and I can't talk about them because I'm out publicly. I have to maintain other people's privacy. Yeah. I understand. Because they haven't chosen to be public. I have some very tricky relationships in my life. For me, I have learned that boundaries are really important Mm. and setting boundaries, not feeling bad about it, as hard and as complicated as it sometimes can be, is the most healthy thing to do Mm. for both parties, actually, especially if the behavior is quite toxic or troublesome. It's not really good for that person either to be able to keep on on being like that with you. Mm. So for me, yeah, setting boundaries and just, you know, and, and having standards of the kind of behavior that you'll accept. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to be vague, but. No, that's fine. No, that's really good. <laughs> I think boundaries, and I know I potentially have spoken about this in another podcast, actually, but Brene Brown, he always talks about boundaries being her like most important thing when it comes to any relationship and just dealing with the modern life. Because, I mean, again, even if we think about our phone or something like that, it's just we're always contactable and accessible. And if we don't create those boundaries for ourselves, then we lose ourselves a little bit, I think. Absolutely. Especially if you're a people pleaser, which most Mm. of us are. I certainly Mm. am or was. Yeah, we often say no is a sentence. Yeah. (laughs) No is a sentence. It's Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) You don't have to give the reasons. You don't have to justify or make excuses. Just, no, sorry, I, I can't do that. Or what did I say to someone just yesterday? I said, I'm not in the zone for that right now, but thanks anyway. <laughs> Didn't give details. I'm just like, just not there. I'm not there. Oh, that's great. It, take, it takes me a, a bit of practice getting, um, getting good at saying no. And uh, is there anything you're working on at the moment, Lotta, in terms of what we can look, um, look out for going forward over the next six months or so? I'm not writing any more books. That sounds like enough. <laughs> That's what I said last time. 
but I'm really not. I, I really, no, I'm just continuing on with running the Living Sober website and, you know, trying to continue to promote sobriety as much as I can so that people who are struggling right now can see that there's a way out. Um, and other than that, I'm just working on raising my sons yes. and my jigsaw puzzle. Oh, incredible, Lata. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. That was a fabulous conversation. I'm so, so glad to speak with you today. Oh, thank you for having me. And I'm just so, it's so great that you're really interested in all this stuff and wanting to really drill down into, you know, the authentic way of living and the healthy way of living because, you know, it's a 2020, man. I mean, it's a, a hell of a year and there's a lot going on right now. And the more that we can the more that we can try and get real and look after ourselves, the better. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lotta Dan. Do check her books out. The first memoir is Mrs. D Going Without. Uh, Her second is The Tools to deal with her emotions. Mrs. D Goes Within. And the last one is the one that I've read. I haven't read her first two, I must admit. Um, the one o'clock myth, which is around the marketing and the environment and the health side of things. So kind of a little bit of a zoom out, bigger picture look on alcoholism and addiction. Awesome. That actually ties us up for season one with this episode. So thank you for your support. First season done and dusted. I am no longer a total amateur, maybe still pretty amateur. Would love to hear what you think about these episodes and season one. We're going to do some focus on the highlights for season one um, over the next little while. And so, yeah, that's me. Thank you so much, guys. Okay, bye.